Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am certainly delighted and elated that you're able to join us for this Thursday teaching. And I don't take your time for granted that you are coming on at this particular time. It is my hope and prayer that this week has found you doing well. And as we make the mad dash to the weekend, of course, that the Lord's keeping power will be with you. Today, we want to continue our study and focus on 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verses 1, going through verse 9. We got a lot of territory that we want to cover, and a lot of things that we want to unpack. And it is my hope and prayer that after today's study, that you will have a better understanding of some basic concepts and beliefs when it comes to uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to be as far as the last days are concerned. So we got a deep dive that we're going to take as far as our time is concerned. But before we do that, I'm going to ask if we could, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, we come and we thank you right now for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to go deep in your word. And we pray right now, God, that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you will be in our midst, that you will, oh God, teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself mighty and strong. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1 going through verse nine. And as I read it, I'm going to have you to do some highlights and some exegetical works marking up your text as far as our time is concerned. Starting at verse one, beloved, and I want you to circle the word beloved. I write you now this second epistle. I want you to highlight the phrase second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds, highlight the phrase pure minds and underline the word pure that you were mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets. If you would highlight the phrase, mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments to us, the apostles of Lord and Savior. And if you would highlight the phrase and of the commandments of us, the apostles. Verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers, circle the word scoffers, will come in the last days. Underline the phrase last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. If you would just highlight that whole verse. Verse five, for they willfully forget, underline the phrase, for this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, highlight the phrase word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perish being flooded with water. Verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. I want you to underline the phrase, the same word are reserved for fire, highlight the phrase reserved for fire, until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. If you would uh, highlight the phrase, the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse eight and nine, but beloved, circle the word beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, 
One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. If you would circle the word slack and then circle the word slackness, underline the phrase his promise. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us. I like the phrase long suffering towards us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right. So we have a lot that we need to digest here because uh, this is uh, an absolutely incredible and a rich text that I want to share with you as far as this time is concerned. Now, let me put it within the context because over the last several weeks, we've been talking about false prophets and false teachers, false prophets and false teachers. We've been talking about their destruction. We've been talking about the defilement that they bring. Uh, we've also talked about how uh, they deceive people. And so when we look at what these false teachers are, these false teachers were uh, people who sounded like Christians, but they were not. They did not believe that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. They denied the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they denied the fact that he was the son of God in the flesh. Uh, they did not necessarily believe the apostles' teaching. However, they infiltrated the church and then spread as seeds of discord and seeds of deception that led astray people who were not rooted and grounded as far as the apostles' doctrine were concerned. So when we look at what we're now dealing with, we are also dealing with another onslaught of false teachers and what they're bringing as far as the body of Christ is concerned. Now, before I deal with chapter three, let me just say this. Anytime that you hear of anyone who will deny the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, run. Anytime that you hear anyone say that Jesus was not the son of God, get out of that space if it's a church. That is a false church. That is false teaching. Now, before I dig even deeper, one of the things that we got to understand about the context is that Peter, as well as Paul, were dealing with what we call a Greco-Roman culture. What is a Greco-Roman culture? It was a Greek-Roman culture, Greek by virtue of teaching and education, Roman by virtue of government and politics. So you had this Greco-Roman culture that was going on at that particular time because back then the scholars were Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates. But when it came to government, you heard of people like Julius Caesar and uh, Cicero, uh, persons that had impact as far as how um, the body politic governed itself. But also the Greeks, as well as the Romans, had a polytheistic religion. That polytheistic religion basically means they believed in a multiplicity of gods and goddesses. They had a whole lot of different gods and goddesses. And interestingly, between the Greek and the Romans, um, they just had different names for the same god. For example, 
uh, the goddess of war. Um, uh, Minerva was considered the goddess of war as far as Rome was concerned, but Athena was considered the goddess of war with the Greeks. So you had basically um, uh, different names for different people. Zeus was considered to be the gods of the gods with the Greeks, but he's called Jupiter as far as the Romans are concerned. Now, one of the things that you got to understand about how they believe in a multiplicity of gods is that they had a god for everything. They had a god for war. They had a god for the rain. They had a god for fertility. They had a god uh, 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 as far as uh, the night was concerned. They had a god of the sea. They had a god of the dead. Uh, they had a whole bunch of gods. We as Christians have a monotheistic religion or a monotheistic understanding of who God is. It is one God, not a whole bunch of different gods, one God. For us as Christians, that one God is described as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. There is no difference as far as God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We believe that God expresses and reveals God's self in three different forms, yet being one God. Now, I say all that to say this, that when you're dealing with these scoffers and when you're dealing with these false teachers, that anyone who deviates from the teachings of the church got to be very careful about. So as I begin to unpack this for us, as far as our time is concerned, I, I want to um, uh, drill down on some wonderful things that we're going to glean as far as our lesson is concerned. And this particular aspect is, when is Jesus going to come back? What about the last days? Why are we where we are right now? I want to unpack this in a very uh, uh, understandable way that I hope and pray that after today's teaching, you will have a much better understanding and much better appreciation for where you and I stand as far as this time is concerned. So let's look at the text in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We see the word beloved. We see the word beloved in verse 1. We also see the word beloved in verse 8. And I want you to do me a favor, if you would. Uh, look at the word beloved in verse 1, put a circle around it, and then draw a line from verse 1 to verse 8. Okay? Verse 1 to verse 8. Now, the word beloved uh, in this particular rending is, it is an expression of the word agape. However, what Peter is really saying is he's calling them friends. Now, I want you to know that uh, Peter did not know all of them, but they were friends in the faith because he didn't know all of the people that would read his letters personally. You know, he these were not people that he would spend time with. These were not people he would have dinner with or or, or share the Sabbath. Um, these are are people who are friends in the faith. That's why he refers to them as beloved. He says, I write to you this second epistle. Remember, we have covered the first epistle. He is now writing a second epistle. Now, I want to really unpack some blessings here because it says, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now, when we look at when he says by way of reminder, to remind somebody of something, that means you have to have told them before. And one thing that I have discovered in almost 30 years of pastoring and almost 42 years of preaching 
is that for a lot of us, you have to continue to say stuff over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we don't get it on the first time. So you have to continue to say stuff over and over and over again, almost ad nauseum. Um, there have been times when I have uh, taken the church out and I preach the same sermon I preach at the church somewhere else. And the folks say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon. I ain't never heard you put it like that. And I'm saying to them, I just preached this sermon a few weeks ago. So we don't get it, unfortunately, the first time. So you got to continue to say stuff over and over again, which is why it's important for us as preachers and teachers and pastors to reiterate the basics, to reiterate the basics. Let me say that again, to keep teaching the basics over and over and over again. Why? Because people don't know the basics. You have people who have been in church for a long time, don't know the basics. So this is why we got to continue to teach stuff over and over and over again. Now, Paul, not Paul, Peter is saying, what I want to do is I want to um, stir up or stimulate wholesome thinking, pure minds. Now, um, when he says by way of reminder, he's talking about really to refresh your what? Your memory, your memory. Now, as I unpack this for you, I, I hope and pray that this will bless you in, 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 in a wonderful way. Because when we look at this particular rendering, there is something to be said about these two words, pure mind, okay? Pure mind, wholesome thinking, pure mind. Um, Peter's purpose is to remind the believers that their lives ought to be characterized by a pure mind, okay? Now, he uses in the Greek an interesting word here that I want to unpack for us uh, in just a moment. And that word is when it comes to mind uh, in the Greek, the word is elikrini, E-I-L-I-K-R-I-N-E, elikrini, all right? That word elikrines literally means son judge. All right, son judge. Now, what does that mean? That means that back during that time, that a piece of pottery was considered to be sun judge when it was held up to the sunlight to see if there were any flaws or cracks. Because back during that time, you had some uh, unscrupulous salesmen who would use wax to cover up cracks and weak places in the pottery. So the person would take the piece of pottery and hold it up to the sunlight to see if there's any uh, weaknesses or any cracks as far as that pottery was concerned. Uh, that's the only way that the cover-up could be detected by holding the, judge, the jug or the piece of pottery up to the sun to see if there were any weaknesses. So it was called sun judge. God wants you and I to have sun judge mind, pure minds, so that our sin spots uh, can be revealed, okay? So the thinking and the intentions of God's people must be able to stand up to scrutiny and not be led astray 
by our corrupted and immoral desires. Now, I would contend that if Peter was writing this letter to us today, what what would he be warning us about? Uh, Several things. I I think that Peter would, first of all, say, hey, um, uh, he would warn us against uh, beliefs that the difference between right and wrong is a matter of personal choice. In other words, uh, you ought to feel good about your beliefs and not offend anybody else's choice. In other words, as we hear in this culture, live your truth. Okay. I would dare say that there are times when folks live their truth that is not in sync with the truth of God. All right. The the other thing that he will warn us against is belief that religion provides value value only if it helps a person adjust to life and get a sense of self-worth. Uh, a religion that worries people is spooky and medieval, according to uh, the culture. But if your religion does not convict you, and if it does not convince you where you are wrong and falling short, there's something wrong with that. And then I believe that Peter will warn us against beliefs that the worst sin is being intolerant of someone else's ideas. Uh, I believe that Peter would say that is not the worst sin. That sometimes the worst sin is you being tolerant of sin. <laughs> Let me say that again. That sometimes the worst sin is you being tolerant of sin. Now, you know, whenever we talk about that, first thing folks want to say is, well, you know, Bible says judge not. Well, you're taking the Bible out of context. And unfortunately, when you say that, uh, oftentimes people who say that they don't want to be corrected, they don't want to be judged. In contrast, we as disciples of Jesus Christ believe, number one, that God is real, that God has spoken, that God is in control, and that we should trust and place our faith and confidence in God. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to let the word of God determine our thinking. It is God, not the world. It is God, not the culture. It is God who sets the standard. I believe that Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 12 when he said, don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not the removal of your mind. So let's continue as far as this conversation is concerned. So um, uh, Peter is, is basically saying, listen, uh, you need to be judged as far as your actions are concerned and you need to be held up to the light of the son of God to see where there are cracks are so uh, that you don't wind up what I call faking the phone. But then let's go to verse two, because in verse two, he says that you may be mindful of the words, the, the, the words rhema. That's what that is in the Greek, which was spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and savior, knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, let me, let me just deal with verse two, because Peter is saying, um, got to understand that this letter that Peter is writing contextually, there is no new Testament. There's only old Testament. So Peter is lifting up the fact that for those who are reading his letter, they have the writings of the old Testament. They have the writings of the prophets. They have the writings of Moses. They have the writings of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They have the writings of Elijah, 
They have the historical books. They have the writings of the what we call the minor prophets, um, uh, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, uh, Hosea and Haggai, Amos, Malachi, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Obadiah. Um, um, uh, they got those particular right Habakkuk. They have the writings of the prophets that will help us to understand who and what we should be about. You know, Joel and Jonah and uh, Nahum, um, those particular writers, those minor prophets, as well as the major prophets to help us become what God will have for us to be. So he is saying we're lifting up the writings of the prophets, as well as the teachings and the commandments that that Jesus Christ has given us that has been passed down to the apostles. So think about this, that you're looking at the writings of the prophets of the Old Testament and the commandments that Jesus has shared with them. Now, this is what I I want to help you to understand uh, when we talk about those particular teachings. Um, We look at um, the writings of the apostles. They're making their connection back to the Old Testament. So they don't discard the Old Testament. They interpret the Old Testament in what? In light of who Jesus Christ is, okay? So this is where we see the Holy Spirit at this time now bringing the prophetic writings as well as the uh, doctrine of the apostles in in, in a synthesis and, and a message of hope and truth and reconciliation and liberation. The prophets had written of the coming Messiah. The apostles had learned from the Messiah that had come. And uh, the apostles also spoke and wrote about Jesus and how one day Jesus is going to return again. Now, let me get to the crux of the matter because when we look at verse three, we see that, that, that Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers, scoffers, scoffers. I, I, I want to deal with that just for a moment scoffers uh, will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Now, Peter and his readers understood that they were living in the last days. Now, here we are in 2021. Still talking about the last days. What are the last days? What are the last days? What 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 are the last days? And and I'm getting ready to bless you in an incredible way. What are the last days? What's the last days, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. Let 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 me help you understand what the last days are. The last days is the period of time between Jesus's resurrection and ascension in his first coming and when he comes back again, his second coming. So guess what? We've been in the last days for a long time. Church was started around 29 AD. That's when the last days started and it will continue until Jesus return. So it's interesting to note that a whole lot of people are saying, um, with the 
uptick of violence and with the craziness going on politically as far as this country is concerned and with this pandemic that's happening as far as the world is concerned with COVID-19. Oh, we're living in the last days. Well, guess what? We've been living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since 29 AD. Okay. Let me say that again. We've been living in the last days since 29 AD. The last days began with Christ's resurrection. They're going to continue to his return when he sets up his kingdom and he judges all of humanity. However, however, scoffers, arrogant, snobbery people who have a disdain for the coming judgment, scoffers, these false teachers will show up and deny that Jesus is coming back. They will deny Jesus second coming. And, uh, and it should be no surprise because Jesus taught about that. He said the heretics were going to come. Um, he talked about, um, how you got to take no heed that no one sees for many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will deceive many. Um, he talked about how many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. He, he reminded us in the gospels, uh, false Christ and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders and will deceive, if possible, the very elect. Scoffers will show up and say, Jesus ain't coming back. And haven't we heard that? We hear that not only in the street, but we also hear it among church folks. God knows I've been exposed to it as far as uh, the academy is concerned. I know we'll forget one thing that Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor had shared with me. Um, he said, when you're in seminary, you got to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Okay, especially when folks try to go against what we call the doctrines of the church. Now, these False teachers, these scoffers, um, will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Peter called the believers to remember the scriptures. He called the believers to live and carry out the will of God. But the false teachers will scoff at the scriptures and will live to please themselves and their own fleshly desires. They're going to love money. They're going to love attention. They distort the truth. They divide the believers. They cause many people to go astray. Scoffers today are those who base their lives and teaching on their own sinful desires and ignore the return of Jesus and his coming judgment. Now, let's be honest. There are some people who have an issue with the judgment of God. They don't believe that that's going to happen, but I'm here to let you know that one day it will happen. Now, Peter is warning the early church against these scoffers because in some churches, unfortunately, there are some people who uh, consider uh, it to be bad to question anything, that if you raise a question, you're challenging authority and you act like a scoffer. But interestingly, it's that type of church where a scoffer thrives. Uh, when you can't ask questions, false teachers flourish like a maggot in rotten meat. Okay, so that's why I don't have any 
issues with people asking questions or making inquiry. Um, God is not intimidated by your questions because when you raise a question, um, uh, it, it allows for you to learn something. See, scoffers don't like real questions. They like to argue. They want to diminish the statue of God. They want to ignore God's word. Inquirers or those who are asking questions want to know God better. Scoffers want to only hear themselves talk. So while we got the guard against the scoffers, um, as your pastor, I'm not afraid to, to have you to ask questions, uh, to grow as far as your faith is concerned. A church should never be the place where your mind closes down, okay? In other words, when you come to uh, the church setting, you don't, you're not expected to leave your mind in the car. You're expected to bring all of that with you as far as the church is concerned and as far as your faith is concerned. <clears throat> so as, as we move forward, as far as looking at this, um, these scoffers are saying, when is he going to come back? When is Jesus going to return? We, we, we've been here for a while because understand that back during that time, it was the belief that when Jesus had ascended, that he was going to come back maybe in uh, a few months or a few years. But, but a whole lot of time has passed and Jesus still has not returned. But, but, but that, that, that is, that's not anything out of the ordinary because um, uh, you're always going to have some people that's going to question how the Lord flows. You have believers at Corinth who, who question the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had believers in Thessalonica who were concerned that their loved ones had died and missed the return of Jesus Christ. You, you, you had others in, in Thessalonica that stopped working in order to wait for Christ's return. And they became what? A burden to the church. Because they were dependent upon the church rather than working to provide for themselves. Kind of sounds familiar at times, doesn't it? So these scoffers were basing their argument on the fact that since the ancestors or their foreparents had died, everything continued as it was before, that God did not do anything extraordinary as far as that's concerned. But apparently they forgot, and Peter comes with this argument in verse five, they forgot that God who created the world, God who created the, the, the universe, this same God allowed for the world to be flooded. And we know the story of Noah, don't we? So what we see is we see that the God who is the creator is also the God who's the judge. And God can do whatever God so desires because God is sovereign and God is omnipotent and God knows what's best. All right. These false teachers were contending that ever since creation, the world has continued a natural order, a system of cause and effect. So that left no rooms for miracles, that left no room for the movement of the supernatural. But you and I know that miracles take place. You and I know that there's a supernatural realm where God does some things that we may not be able to see, but we uh, uh, experience the impact and the effect of it. All right. 
These false teachers, unfortunately, chose to ignore the fact that God has always been involved in creation. Remember, that incident with Noah and the flood is proof that God is alive and present and operating as far as the world is concerned. As, as I look at uh, us going to verse 7, which blesses us in a very powerful way, we see that in verse 7 that um, Peter is saying that eventually the world is going to be judged. The world is going to be judged. That same heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, so I want you to understand that that what 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 Peter is saying is that in the past the world was destroyed by the flood. In the future, it would be destroyed by fire. God is simply holding the earth on layaway. It is reserved for fire. It is being kept for judgment. All right. Ungodly men will soon meet their maker. All right. Um, it's already decided. The day of judgment and the destruction of the godless is a matter of God's timing. And 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 the unfortunate reality is so many of us, we're trying to figure out when is it going to happen, how is it going to happen. Listen. I'm not concerned about that. I'm going to let God be God and I will do what I'm called to do. And, and here's where I want to drill down on this in verses eight and nine, because in verses eight and nine, we see this unpack and unfold in a very powerful way. And let's look at it. Verse eight, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter, at this point, is basically answering the question that's on a whole lot of folks' minds. Why is it taking the Lord so long to return? And Peter answers it in two ways. First of all, Peter says that the Lord does not count like you count. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. All right. So Peter reminds us that Psalms 90 verse 4 comes to, to bear. And what Psalms 90 verse, verse 4 says, um, and if you were to read it, it says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, or like a watch in the night. So God doesn't do timing like we do. Okay, God doesn't count like we count. Okay, all right. Now, um, um, to, to the scoffers, this seems like a long, long time. But, but you think about it. 
you think about it. The church age, when it comes to the sight of God and the time of God, according to this text, it, it, it's not even two days. <laughs> it's not even two days. It's not even two days. All right. So that that's that's one thing that we got to look at. That God does not look at time as we do. All right. But the other thing is, the other thing is that the Lord is long-suffering towards us. That the second reason for the Lord's delay in returning is that God is giving sinners an opportunity to repent and turn to God. God is not late at all, but rather God is being patient. God is trying to give people time to come to God. Uh, it, it's God's desire that all people be saved. Okay, God is not indifferent. God gives people free will. However, some people will reject God. Now, some people have tried to take verse 9 to make it seem like that everybody's going to be saved. But nowhere in the Bible does it teach universal salvation. What it does teach is that God is so compassionate and loving that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, this is where I want to close as far as our time together is concerned. Because if you aren't saved, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you've heard the gospel and you reject the gospel, it breaks God's heart. God is concerned about unsaved people. Now, this is where I go against cultural Christianity. This is where I go against what we're hearing so, so, so much pablum, so much mess in the church. God is a loving God, but God is also a God of judgment. Judgment. God's perfect love causes God to be merciful to those who say, listen, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've fallen short. But for those that give God what I call the middle finger, they're going to be judged. They're going to die both physically and spiritually. And it ain't like God is taking wonderful delight in their death. He would prefer that they would turn to God and have eternal life. But the promise of judgment and destruction shows that God knows that many people will choose not to follow God. So what are we called to do? Here's the application. What are we called to do? Well, one thing we aren't called to do is sit on our laurels and just wait for Jesus to return. We should live with the realization that time is short, that we have work to do, that you and I are called to participate with God, to bring people to God. You and I are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others so that they can know who God is. Uh, some people will reject him. Others will accept him. The question is, who's going to be your one? Who will you lead to Jesus Christ? When you get to the kingdom and you're judged, if you're saved on your works, who will make it and have eternal life because of you?
Think about that. Who are you bringing into the kingdom? I, I, I want to close on this because right now is probably going to be the launching of a new major opportunity, especially here in America, for the church to do some unprecedented work. That as we slowly return from the pandemic, guess what? Some folks aren't coming back. They have discovered they can stay home and engage in worship and and, and church in their pajamas and have their cup of coffee in their living room or bedroom or kitchen table. That means they're not part of the church. But now we have an opportunity because technology to reach others for Jesus Christ and in some shape, form, or fashion, use this technology to promote and produce community, conversation, and communication and help people to become more in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, right now, there's no one where I am except me, but I'm teaching. And this lesson is going out to folks that I don't even see right now. So we have an opportunity to make an indelible impression and a difference as far as the sake of the kingdom is concerned. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit on your laurel and look up to the sky and wait for Jesus to return? Or are you going to be serious about becoming a connecting piece to others so they can know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Um, so that's our lesson for this time. I hope and pray that you have been blessed. And as I get ready to... um close out this lesson, I want to give you the opportunity that if you feel led to give, you can do that. There are three ways you can give here at the St. Paul Church. One way is by either sending your check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205, or you can bring check, cash, and money order to the church. Just call the church at 704-334-5309 and make sure someone is here to receive your offering. We'll put it in a safe and make sure it's part of the following Sunday's count. Another way you can give as far as our church's concerns through our website, through either ACS or Church Life. And then the last way you can give is through the app called Givelify. If you don't have that app on your smart device, download it. On your smart device, connect to your favorite credit card. And in three clicks, you can give. Search for St. Paul Baptist Church and you can give. Well, I hope and pray that you have discovered um what it means as far as the last days are concerned. And let me close with this, and I hope this bless you real good. If you do what Jesus told you to do in the first coming, the second coming will take care of itself. That's what my mentor, the late Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor used to say. And what did Jesus tell us to do in the first coming? Check out the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Talked about the greatest commandment. Read Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and you will see, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give water to the thirsty, visit those that are sick, check on those that are in prison. You will see what he tells us doing the great commandment. Go make disciples, 
baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatever he has taught us and he has promised to be with us always, even until the end of the age. You and I, uh, as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, have work to do. And so if we do what he told us to do in his first coming, we don't have to worry about what will happen in the second coming. Listen, God bless you. I hope you have uh, a great rest of the day and may heaven continue to smile upon you. Be blessed, my sister and my brother.